turning in your Bibles, turning in your Bibles, John chapter 8, John chapter 8. While you're turning there, I know that many of you know, you know Gerald Galloway, Gerald Galloway, former police chief here, both of his daughters graduated from graduated from school here, Leanne and Emily, and uh, I was told this afternoon that he has stage four pancreatic cancer and is not expected to live very long. So we would like to pray for pray for Gerald Galloway, Gerald Galloway, his family, his family. John chapter eight, John verse eight, thirty-one, thirty-one. Then said Jesus to those Jesus which believed on him, believed on him. If ye continue in my word, and argue my disciples, my disciples, and ye shall know the truth, shall know the truth, and the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Shall make you free. Let's look to the Lord and pray. Look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night service. Tonight service. We thank you for thank you the opportunity to come aside and to study your word together for a few moments. For a few moments. We pray that you would. Pray that you would. Help us to see the importance of the word tonight, word tonight, and the and the subtle deceptions are the age in which we're living to draw us away from. To draw us away from. We do pray for Chief Galloway, Chief family that you would minister to them, minister to them. Father, we pray for the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, and we pray tonight that you would show yourself strong as the captain of the host of the Lord on their behalf. We pray that you would give wisdom to their leaders, their military leaders. And we pray that this country and its political leadership would stand down and get out of their way, out of their way, and let them do what needs to be done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Tonight we want to mention a couple of things that we didn't have time to get to. On Sunday night, Sunday night, in our last two messages, we have just we have honed in on the Lord's words in verse 31. Verse 31. My word, my word, my word. If ye continue in my word, my word. And we said Sunday night that if we're going to continue in His word, in His word, then we have to be clear in our minds. We have to be resolved in our that we have, that we the have word of God. the Word of God. It has to be a conviction on our part. On our part. Pastor Galley had a very simple, had a very definition for this word conviction. word conviction. He said a conviction is a belief that you would not violate, violate compromise, compromise under any circumstances. Every time I think about Ken's definition, I am, I am. Forced into the uncomfortable position of realizing how few convictions I actually have. But the belief that we have in our hands, in the King James Bible, the belief that we have in this book, the inspired, the infallible, and God has to be one of our inviolable and uncompromising convictions. convictions. Otherwise, this church will be lost. Whenever we 
whenever I think about the word conviction, there's another word that immediately comes to mind, and that is the word conformity. And the reason it comes to mind is not because it starts with the same letter as conviction. The purpose is not to use alliteration to make a point. The reason that this word comes to mind is because it is a very real spiritual danger. And it's a danger that the Lord illustrates to us here in His Word so that we can understand that it can happen, happen, even here, even here. We've talked on more than one occasion about the children of Israel in Judges chapter 2. And what we find there is a group of young people, the third generation of the children of Israel after leaving Egypt. And what we learn is that this third generation is a group who served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Joshua was the first generation from Egypt. They served the Lord all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. That's the second generation. But then we read about this third generation, a generation after them, after them, which knew not the Lord, which knew not the Lord. And it's very important, it's very important to understand what the Lord means when he says they knew not the Lord. They knew not the Lord. You, you could not live in the camp of Israel and not know who the Lord not know who the Lord is. Any more than you can more than come to Calvary Memorial Church and not know who the Lord is. And so what does it mean when the Lord says they knew not the Lord? Well, the Lord tells us twice in Judges chapter 2. In the 12th verse and the 13th verse. And the 13th verse. We read there that this third generation forsook the Lord God of their fathers. That's what it means that they knew not him. They knew him, but they forsook him. And that word forsook, forsook, not only means to depart from, and not only means to leave behind, but it also means to let loose. Means to set free, to set free. This third generation served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. They appeared to have the same convictions as their fathers, as their fathers, and they looked that way. And they looked that way. They looked that way all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders that outlived elders that outlived Joshua. But it came time for this third generation. Take the responsibility of leadership for God's people. What looked like conviction wasn't conviction. It never had been. It was conformity. They'd been going along to get along. They'd been taking the course of least resistance. And they did that because they knew their time was coming. They just had to wait. They just had to wait. And when their time came, their time when they had, when they, they had no longer had no longer to conform, they forsook. They forsook. They were let loose. They were let loose. This third generation was set free from what they considered to be the bands and cords that that held them down, held them down, that restricted them and it inhibited them from doing what they wanted to do. 
we see this right here in this church. Right here in this church. Young people who conform to the standards of Calvary. Standards of Calvary. They conform, for example, to the standard that we have that says no captives. Now, why do we have that? Now, why do we have that standard? Very simple. Very simple. That's God's standard. That's God's standard. Leviticus 19 and verse 28. And verse 28. God tells His people. God tells His people. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead. For the dead. Well, I certainly would not cut my flesh. But that's not the end of the verse. That's not the end of the verse. Nor print nor any marks upon you. Upon you. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. What do we call what do we a call mark that people print on themselves? We call it a tattoo. The word print and the word mark, the word marks in that verse make it very clear. Make it very clear. But if you like, but if you look the word up, look the word up. And when you do, you find that one of the meanings of that word marks is This is God's standard. It's God's our standard. It's our standard. We've had young people who come to this church and school who never had school who never had a And what that looks like on the surface is that they have a biblical conviction. But when they leave this school, when they leave this church, what do we see when we run into some of the mountains, some of the mountain community? We see tattoos. We see tattoos. Some of them tattooed up pretty good. Tattooed up pretty good. Why? Why? Because what appeared to be a conviction when they were here at Calvary Christian School, under the authority of Mr. Creech and staff, what appeared to be a conviction was just conformity. And when that influence was gone, when it was no longer part of their lives, they were let loose. They were set free from what they considered to be these unreasonable bands and cords that bound them and, 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 and restricted them from expressing themselves. I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example. The dress code that we have here at Calvary Christian, Christian School. And that dress code yeah, includes a rule about female students. He's staff only wearing one earring in each ear. Now, why would we have a dress code? Why would we have a dress code? Because God has a dress code. Because God has a dress code. And we're trying to teach our young people. Our young people. They aren't to follow the fads of the fads of this world. There's a verse that I came across that I came I've read across. it many times. I've read it many times. Um, um, it's First Corinthians it's seven and verse thirty-one. We've got a lot of brown to cover. Got a lot of brown to cover um, And so I'm just going to read. You, I'm just going to read you the last part. The last part. You can look it up. Look it up. The last part of First Corinthians seven and verse thirty-one says, "For the fashion of this world passes away." If you look that word fashion up, word fashion up, you find something very interesting. very interesting. You find that it means the habitus, the habitus, as comprising everything in a person which strikes the senses. The senses. That is about as good a definition of fashion as you'll ever get. 
Fashion is comprised of everything in a person which strikes the senses, the eyes in particular. In particular. But how about this world? How about this world habitus? Habitus. Well, you guessed it. It's a Latin word. It's a Latin word, and it refers to lifestyle, lifestyle, the values, the dispositions, the expectation of particular social groups. This word fashion is an amazing word. Because by using this word, the Spirit of God is telling us that fashion has a physical component. What we wear strikes the eyes of those who see us. But fashion also has an emotional component. And a great part of that emotional component comes in the form of peer pressure. The expectation, the expectation of, of the particular of social, groups social groups that we interact that with, we interact friends, fellow students, students, they're all around us. All around and they have an impact. Have an impact. All of that is all what makes up the fashion of this world. And God says and God that it passes away. Passes Don't hook your wagon to that. Wagon to that. It's here today and it changes tomorrow. What's in today is out tomorrow. There is no stability for the believer in the fashion of this world. Stability for the believer is not being conformed to this world. Not being conformed to this world and its fashion. Stability for the believer is in not loving the world, neither the things that are in the world. Five earrings, five earrings in each ear. 
we see short and we see modest dresses and low tops and pants and jeans so tight that it looks like they were melted down. Why? Why? Because what appeared to be a conviction. When they were here at Calvary Christian School. Under the authority of here. Under the authority of Mr. Creech and the state. Creech and the state. It was just conformity. It was just conformity. And when that influence was gone, influence was gone. They were let loose. They were let loose. They were set free. They were set what they considered to be these unreasonable bands and cords that restricted their freedom and their self-expression. Self-expression. Restrained them from what they wanted to do. They wanted to do. Folks, this is the mindset, this is the mindset that, I fear, that I fear concerning the King James Bible in this church. That what happened to the people of God in the book of Judges, that what happens in, in young people that are come to this church come to this church in school, what happened here at Calvary, happened here at Calvary. Then it will be said for future generations, and the people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua, as Pastor Kelly, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, as the leadership of this church, the deacons and the elders, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Their fathers were getting older. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, and they forsook the Lord. A third generation, some of which may be here now, may be here now, or will be here, or will be here. That brought their King James Bible church. They memorized from it. They even taught from it. People who have gone along with the leadership of this church. And it looks like they have a biblical conviction about the King James Bible, but they don't. But they don't. Because what appeared to be a conviction when the leadership that believed that the King James Bible is the Word of God was here, God was here. That was just conformity. That was just conformity. And when that influence was retired, was retired, or dead, or dead. When it was no longer active in their lives, and they will be let loose. They'll be set free from what they consider to be the old-fashioned bands and cords. The thing that held them back, held them back from doing what they believed on believed on be done. Now I hope not. Now I hope not. But maybe you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking that can't happen. Joshua and the elders of Alexander didn't think it could happen in Israel either. But it did. But it did. How many of the staff and teachers here knew which students that appeared to have that convictions, convictions didn't have them at all? Didn't have them at all. How many of the staff and teachers here knew that there were those among those those students, those students that were just conforming and who had no convictions at all? And they were just waiting for the day when they could be turned loose and set free and set free from the bands and the cords of the Word of God that they saw that was holding them back and preventing what they wanted to do. 
same way, we have those who have some convictions, convictions about the King James Bible. Remember, a conviction is a belief that you will not violate or compromise under any circumstances. If your life depends on life, that's what a conviction is. Conviction is. We don't know who really has convictions about the King James Bible and who is just and who is conforming. Folks, there are always people who are influenced by and have a certain allegiance to certain schools and ministries outside of this church. Schools and ministries that do not stand for the King James Bible. There are people who are influenced by people like Pastor Sam's that we talked about Sunday night. And we want to talk about him and we want to talk about him again tonight. A man who, man who sounds very good, sounds very good. What he says seems to make sense. After all, he has a doctor's degree. And he certainly knows more than someone, more than someone like myself, who hasn't had all that training in Greek. Education has a great influence on people. In the appearance, in the education, has a great influence. A great influence. And the higher the education, the education level, the greater the influence on those who have less education. Mr. Sam's, Mr. Sam's has developed a very, a very effective approach to to converting, transitioning churches. From the King James Bible to these other to these other versions, and I want to go through his steps for a few minutes tonight. For a few minutes tonight, he says, "Step one is formulate clear biblical convictions." He understands. He understands convictions. Formulate means you need to learn, study, grow, and create your convictions. If you are going to lead in major change, you better be clear. Better be clear. You must formulate your position from the Bible, from the deception of it. A conviction means I can't change this. He understands what a conviction is. I have a conviction about I believe it is inspired, and I believe preservation is predominantly a reference to original manuscripts. Poor God, poor God, you could not, you could not preserve, preserve His word into other languages. That's language influence, And and Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Pastor Sam says, I've heard all the guys rooting and pitting on Twitter. I ain't seen the manuscripts, and neither you. I'm not on Twitter, but I probably would have said that. I probably would have said that. What we mean is that the word preservation in the Bible is not speaking of English translation, but it's speaking of the word that God gave, which was not in English. I know that is so obvious, but it's really simple. Once I believe that it is inspired and the original is preserved, and I make my best position on a language translation based upon formal equivalency and literacy. It's that simple. You've got to have a Bible that is true to the original languages, and you have got to have a Bible that you can believe. 
those are convictions. And then he says this, so the King James falls out of line on the basis of rebuilding. He's going to throw the King James and throw the King James away. We've talked about the 618 familiar words of the King James. 618 out of over 791,000. That means that 99.99% of all the words in the King James Bible he then proceeds to recommend Bible versions that are not based on formal or verbal equivalence. He says, he says, but he, he recommends these Bibles that are not based on a word-for-word translation. They're based on dynamic equivalence. Talk about these things. Something about these things. In other words. Dynamic equivalence adds to or takes away or changes the words of God. And he recommends these versions that do that. The New American Standard, New King James Version, English Standard Version, Christian Standard Bible. He then says, once I sorted through all this theology, and then sorted through the book authorized, no, I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with that. The convictions were by convictions were by I am literally convicted I'm not going to use the King James Version of the Bible in my church and my church and my family. So that's it. So that's it. Now all of a sudden something has to change. has to change. Then he goes to step two and we talked about we talked about I said it was step two, but we talked about step two Sunday night because Sunday night step two the first part of it is teaching people that Psalm 12, Psalm 6 and 7 is not talking about the inspiration of the Word of God and the keeping and preserving the words of the Lord by God Himself. No, no, it's not true. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7 are talking about preserving the Word of God. They are talking about the preservation of the preservation. Talking about the fallacy of this fallacy of this And then once you have caught the error that Psalm 12, 6 and 7 is referring to the people of God and not the Word of God, then he says, you ask this question, you ask this question. Now, that which I just said, that which I just said about him, he doesn't call what he believes there. He says, in what ways can I begin to shift the ministry context? This may take five years. It may never happen. But here's number one. I'm going to eliminate any kind of King James only lingo. I'm just going to eliminate I'm going to quit saying things like, open your King James Bible. How many are glad for the old book? I'm going to start defanging things as the some kind of poise, some kind of poise. Then he says, I'm going to test the water by maybe mentioning things like this, things like this. If we were translating this word today, we would say this word means this or means this. If you're a little more intentional, you will test the waters. You will start saying things like I think it's terrible to say this is a bad translation. Come on. You're surely not that arrogant, not that arrogant. This is what sophomores in grade one do. They say the King James is a terrible translation. Like you know more than that committee that translated it. No, you don't. 
He says, he, he says, think about the subtlety. He's not going to directly attack directly. He's not going to say it's a terrible translation. But I can say, I can say, if this word were being translated in 2023, we would say this. Or in the original language, this is a present tense, active voice, imperative, verb. And what I'm showing what is I'm there is study going on. And it's my job to teach you. My job to teach you. So this is putting his education on education on this. Remember what we said a few minutes ago. Education has an influence on the influence. And the higher the education level, the greater the influence on those who have less. Listen, I've been in churches, churches when after Dale and I first got married. Many of them independent. Between, difference between the, the, the holy, the, the, the holy God, the King James 
Bible and the profane and all of these versions that are verbals that are based on West College and all, all of these versions that, that rely on dynamic equivalence adding to taking away changing the words of God. I don't find gray in this book. It, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. I thought, well, is the word gray in the Bible? And so I and so I looked it up. Looked it up. The only time the only we find the word gray in the Bible, Bible is in reference to hair. Reference to hair. Not doctrine. Not doctrine. Just hair. Just hair. Folks, there's no gray area when it comes to the word God. Not when God says, when you shall not have the word which I command you, which I command Neither shall ye diminish all from the not the very not not when the very last thing he says at the close of this book in Revelation chapter twenty for I testify unto every man to hear the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that you read. Thing. It's a doubtful thing. 
It's a doubtful thing. It's a doubtful thing. In other words, it's one of those gray areas that you've been teaching us about. Teaching us about. And then he said this, and don't even worry. Don't even worry about it. It may have been two more years, two more years before the complete change to the place in that church. For folks, the battle had already been battle had already been and it was one because of Pastor Sam's plan is incrementalism. 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 It's one of the devil's favorite, devil's favorite tools. I believe that the greatest sermon, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in this state, in this state, was the moving of the Capers Lighthouse. In 23 days. That lighthouse, that lighthouse. Many of you have seen it. You know, seen it. You the know. size of it. The size of it. In 23 days, that lighthouse was moved over a half a mile. Over a half a mile. And the move it was almost, was almost perceptible. perceptible. Even to the people who were standing right there, right watching it, watching it. Just like the transition that took place in River City Baptist Church. Jacksonville for Jacksonville for and all the other churches that Pastor Sam's has called Sam to transition from the Lord God from the Lord God. The King James Bible and one of these other versions. And it can happen it can happen here. But there's a way to keep it from happening. to keep it from happening. Turn to Acts chapter twenty if you will. Twenty if you will. Acts chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty. us to do is watch watch and remember and remember. Let's look to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you for all the time that we've had tonight in your word. To think about these things and we pray that you would use them for your glory. We ask in 